Welcome to After the Fact, a Knowing Faith mini-episode where we look to take a big question and address it in just a few minutes. Typically, the questions we consider will line up with our larger topic for the season. That's certainly true for our time today. We are discussing Genesis 12 through 50 on Knowing Faith this season, and joining us today is Dr. James Hamilton. Dr. Hamilton is professor of biblical theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, the author of several books, including, but not limited to, What is Biblical Theology?, the Bible's Big Story, Salvation History for Kids, and God's Indwelling Presence, the Ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old and New Testaments, which we'll touch on a little bit today. He also serves as the preaching pastor at Kenwood Baptist Church. Dr. Hamilton, welcome to After the Fact. Thanks for joining us. Really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, so here's the big question. Did the Holy Spirit indwell Abraham? I don't think so. Um, I do think that uh, what Genesis indicates in Genesis 8, I think it's verse 21, after the flood. So, you know, before the flood in Genesis 6, uh, God saw that the thoughts of man's heart was were only evil all the time. And then after the flood, I believe it's Genesis 8, 21, um, there's a statement basically saying the same thing, that uh, the Lord, you know, he looks on the heart of man and he sees that they're only evil all the time. And so I do think that some sort of spirit-empowered renewal had to have taken place within Abraham. And I would locate that as circumcision of the heart. So um, I, I know that that's an eschatological promise that God will circumcise the hearts of his people. But I think nevertheless um, that God did, he, he must have done something like that in order to enable people to believe. Right. Um, but then I think that God in, in the old covenant, he seems to take up residence at particular places, and he seems to locate himself at these places where he wor- where he is worshipped by his people, and in Abraham's case, um, he visibly appears to people. Right. Then once they are given the tabernacle, um, the the Lord fills the tabernacle with His glory, and I think that the implication is that by His Spirit He is. Uh, taking up residence, indwelling the tabernacle. And then that will basically happen also at the building of the temple. And then those those realities are used to inform the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in the church. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So under the old covenant, God dwelled in the temple. Under the new covenant, the people are the temple. You know what? This is fascinating, and and I told you this in one of our phone calls, but actually as a very precocious uh, Masters of Divinity student, I read your book, and uh, I I wrote a paper criticizing it. Now, I got to tell you, I am terrified. I've I've said on the podcast before, I've been terrified of talking with you about it because uh, my criticism was very bad, uh, and your book is very good. (laughs) But I will say this. One thing that leaves me scratching my head in this conversation is the role of the Spirit in the New Testament, it certainly appears to be part of it, is keeping God's people, Mm -hmm. right? That the indwelling of the Spirit is the seal of salvation and that it it keeps us in this covenant of love that we have been brought into in Christ. And I guess some of the things I kind of get heartburn over when I think about Abraham, and this would really apply to not just Abraham, we're using him as a kind of a, a case study, but it could apply to, to Moses, uh, to Noah, to any of the faithful followers of Yahweh in the Old Testament. 
How are they kept if not by an indwelling power and presence of the Holy Spirit? That's for me what feels like, man, is this a disc, is this just discontinuity or tension that we just have to say, we don't really know. Yahweh was faithful and the manner of that faithfulness changed in the covenants. That's what kind of gives me a little bit of heartburn. Could you maybe just tease that out for me for a moment? Or maybe there's just sure. not a maybe there's just not a solution. No, I think there are indications in the text. In in Abraham's case, you know, the Lord repeatedly appears to him. Mm-hmm. So the Lord appears to him in Genesis 15, and then again right. in Genesis 17, and then again right. in Genesis 18. So the Lord continual continues to appear to Abraham. And he continues to reiterate, for instance, at Genesis 22, he continues to reiterate the promises that that were initially articulated in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Right. And once the Lord has said to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. At that point, I think that if you want to be part of the blessing of Abraham, you want to be where Abraham is. Hmm. So for instance... I think the fact that Lot separates from Abraham and doesn't seek to maintain contact with him is an indication that Lot is not, at that point, as interested in the promise as he should be. You know, the world, the flesh, and the devil are leading Lot away, and and Lot winds up doing some horrific things. Um, So, I mean, the New Testament says he's still a righteous man. So at some level, I think he knows the promises and he believes the promises, But it would have been, in my view, as I read Genesis, it would have been better for Lot had he realized, if I want to be blessed, I need to stick by Abraham. So we have to separate because we have so much stuff, but I need to stay close to Abraham. I need to stay in contact with Abraham. And then once Sodom gets destroyed, Lot doesn't need to hold up in that cave. He needs to say to himself, where is Abraham? Where is, where is my uncle? And how do I get reconnected to him? So, so is it, is the, is maybe the, the larger thing that's going on here is that the presence or or the, the, the presence of God or God's blessed presence maybe, or the presence of the spirit is more localized and it's kind of, Oh, I don't want to say manifestation, but it's more localized in its impact throughout the Old Testament, whether with like the chosen man, like Abraham, then the tabernacle, then the temple. Is that is that the idea that it's just more localized in the Old Testament and the New Testament's a little bit more dispersed? Well, I I think that um, the, the particular place is more significant under the Old Covenant because it seems to me that what what has happened is that the 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 world was created as a kind of cosmic temple. Yeah. A place where God would be present with those who bear his image and who are, are made, created to um, visit his authority and his, his um, holiness in all the world. And then that cosmic temple is defiled and people are driven out of the Garden of Eden, which is kind of a cosmic holy of holies, the holy of holies of the cosmic temple. And then um, the Lord promises Abraham what amounts to like a, a recapturing of the, or maybe a, a re-cleansing or, you know, a retaking of the cosmic temple when he says, I'm going to give you this land. Right. And, and then at that point, the patriarchs, particularly Jacob and Joseph, they insist that they need to be buried in the land. Right. right. And that is a, you know, that's a, that's an indication of their faith, their belief that, that, this promise that God has made is going to go beyond their death and it has relevance beyond their death. And I think it indicates that they're looking for the resurrection when the promises will be fulfilled and God will dwell with his people in the land where he has promised to dwell with him. Now, when, when we get into Exodus, 
Um, the people are in Egypt, but again, God is saying to Moses and then to the elders of Israel, uh, I'm going to take you back to that land that I swore to your fathers um, right. and, and we're going to go there. And at that point, you know, the, the tabernacle and the Levitical cult system is, is set up. But even before that, the Lord meets Moses at, at what is referred to as the mountain of God. And it seems that in some way, the omnipresent God is, is particularly present in a kind of covenantal way to bless at Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, where he says, you know, the sign of this covenant that I'm going to make with you is that you will worship me on this mountain when I brought you out of Egypt. Um, so, so this focus on place seems to point, I think, to God's plan to retake all creation. And then he puts Israel in uh, the land, and then they do the same thing that Adam did. They get themselves exiled from the land. And then when, when the new covenant is inaugurated, you know, Jesus has that conversation with the Samaritan woman where he sa she says, uh, we worship on this mountain. You Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where we must worship. And he says, um, salvation is from the Jews. So he affirms, you know, the Old Testament and what God has done through the Jewish people. But then he goes on to say, a time is coming and is now here when you will worship the Father, neither, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, but in spirit and in truth. Right. And what Jesus, I think, indicates is that the new covenant is not going to be made with a particular ethnic nationality, as it was with the people of Israel. And the, the people of the new covenant are not going to have geographical boundaries, and they're not going to have one holy place where God dwells. So, you know, another aspect of what kept Old Covenant believers is the fact that all males in Israel were required to go up to Jerusalem to the temple three times a year for the big feasts. Right. And, and then you have those Psalms where, like Psalm 84, the psalmist is saying, how lovely uh, are your gates, O Jerusalem, and better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. So I think part of what kept Israel was the requirement that they participate in the, the Levitical cult through the feasts so that they actually entered into the presence of God on a regular basis. In the new covenant, um, we don't have a, we don't have boundaries around a particular land. We're not limited to, I mean, now, you know, Gentiles, non-Jews, I think they could become um, part of the covenant people, but they basically had to become Israelites. They had to say, like Ruth said, your people are my people and your God is my God. I'm not identifying as a Moabite anymore. Well, now in the new covenant, God's people are, you know, Jesus says to his disciples, go make disciples of all nations, right. baptizing them. But we don't have boundaries. Uh, we don't have a, a city where there's a particular building that we go worship at. Um, uh, we are the temple. We are the, what it, we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know what? I could talk about this with you for hours. And honestly, if you have, uh, this is this is such a great introduction to the way that Dr. Hamilton approaches these issues. And I, he would not want me to do this, but I'm going to do it. If you have not, if you're thinking like, okay, how do you do this kind of work? His introduction, what is biblical theology, is meant for lay people, and it is a great introduction. And if you're really interested in this topic, you got to grapple with his book, God's Indwelling Presence: The Ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old and New Testaments. I'm telling you, I go back to it routinely, and uh, uh, my my own predilections and positions are disturbed and disrupted by the consistency of his his work there. And so, Dr. Hamilton, thank you for joining us on After the Fact today. Well, thanks for having me, and thanks for your kind words. 
After the Fact is brought to you by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you want to study with incredible professors like Dr. Hamilton, head over to sbts.edu and discover why Southern Seminary is trusted for truth.